How is everybody? You good? Awesome. We're going to start week two of 40 Days in the Word, and I'm going to get to that in just a minute. But real quickly, I want to show you a picture of what's been going on uh, this weekend with our ladies. Now, that this, doesn't that look awesome? They, are, they had a wonderful time. I, I was texting my wife today because I'm a lost man when she's not around. Um, hey, that's okay. We're one, you know? That's, and and it's, it's weird when, you know, anyway. Yeah, that's not why you came here, to hear me talk about that. Um, but I was like, man, we're, we're getting ready to have church. I was just, you know, just uh, wanted to check on y'all. And she said, we've had church all weekend. So they had a great time. And I showed you that picture to tell you, when this stuff comes up again, and if you weren't able to take advantage of this trip, uh, just, just jump in and, and, and be a part of, of what's going on with our ladies' ministries. They do, they do stuff all year long, but this, they really have an awesome time at this retreat. So I just want to throw that up there so you could uh, just uh, see what they were, had going on this weekend. So there you go. Hey, God bless. We're, we're, we're in week two of 40 Days in the Word, and, and this is our attempt, y'all, to do three things, to learn the Word, to love the Word, and to live the Word. See, I'm convinced, y'all, that the most transformational uh, element, the most transformational library, the most transformational book of all time is, is God's Word. And so what we've done or, or, and what we're in the middle of over these next 40 days is, is really three elements. And I hope that you're, being, that you're plugging in all three of them. Uh, there's, there's the Sunday morning uh, sermons. And listen, if that's all... All you do, you'll get something out of that. But there's also the, the Wednesday night small group. We had, I think we had more people in this building on Wednesday night ever this past Wednesday night. We had an awesome, awesome time. And, and I want to encourage you to come be a part of that on Wednesday nights. We kind of break up into small groups, talk about uh, how to do those three things, learn the Word, love the Word, live the Word. Um, and, and then another element that, that I, I, I want to make sure that you're connecting to is our daily scripture devotions and, and journal. And, and can I tell you, it, it really doesn't require a, an enormous amount of time each day. It's, it's, it's like five minutes. Is that right, y'all, that are doing it? It's about five minutes. But they're just powerful, y'all. They're just powerful, powerful stuff. And so I want to encourage you to do all three of those. And at the end of the 40 days, here's what I promise you. You'll be a different person. You'll be a different person. God will do something fresh in you. So today, we're going we're gonna to try to answer this question, can the Bible be trusted? And, you know, we're going to, you know, we want to jump into our Sunday school answer and go, yes, bless God, the Bible can be trusted. But, but why? Why can the Bible be trusted? And here's this, the, I don't really like, um, I don't like apologetics sermons. I don't like to preach them. And uh, apologetics is when you defend the Bible from an, academic or an intellectual perspective. I don't, I don't like doing that. And, and, and it's, it's a Dwayne problem. I'll tell you why. Um, sometimes you guys call me, it's just part of my personality because sometimes you guys call me, say that I'm a techie, that I'm a, some of y'all use the nerd word and I don't like that. But I, I, and I was pointing at somebody in particular over there. She knows who she is. 
Anyway, I, I guess I am, though. I, I'm, I'm kind of a, a, a tech nerd, and, and it, it brings out a part of my personality that I don't like, and my wife calls me out on it from time to time. See, like, I'll, I'll, be, I'll be teaching somebody how to do something up in the crow's nest or with a soundboard or with live stream or with, you know, all that other tech stuff that we do, and, and I make this assumption that I shouldn't make. I make this assumption that if that you know as much as I know about it. And I'm not trying to pat Dwayne on the back, but I've done, I've done a lot of this stuff for a long time. And, and I make the assumption that, well, you know, it is, you, you know as much as I know, and you should know this by now. And, I, and sometimes my frustration comes out. You ever try to teach something to somebody and you think they should know this by now? Yeah, and, and, and that, you get frustrated with that. I, I don't like that part of my personality, and God's working on me there. Uh, Donna says I can be, her word is condescending. And I don't like being that way. But I got to, that same part of my personality comes out when I talk about the Bible. Because, listen, um, I've, been, I've been reading that book for a long time now. I've been reading that book for 41 years. Stop. That's just uncalled for. 41 years. And sometimes I make this assumption, and I'm just being really honest with you guys. Sometimes I make this assumption, you know, you ought to have the same amount of faith in that book that I have. And I'm going to tell you not everybody does. And so what we're going to do is is we're going to, in a 35-minute sermon, I'm going to spend 30 minutes defending God's word. But I'm going to spend 30 minutes to get you to the last five. So I need you to hang with me for 30 minutes and then get to the last five. Because the Bible can be trusted, y'all. It is the best-selling book of all time. It's the most translated book of all time. It, it's on, on every, in every language, in, on every continent. I mean, it's not just the best-selling book of all time. It's the best-selling book by a long shot of all time. And there's a reason for that, y'all. And it's not because it looks good on your coffee table. And not because it looks good on your, on, on your shelf, on your bookshelf. Second um, Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 says it this way. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God might be thoroughly equipped for every good Work. That, I, I want you to pay attention to that first line. All Scripture is God-breathed. Some translation says Scripture is given by inspiration. That word literally means the breath of God. Right now you're hearing the breath of Dwayne, right? So i got to form breath in my lungs and expel them across my vocal cords for you to be able to hear me. If there wasn't any breath in my lungs, you wouldn't hear what I said, right? And I'd be also dead. So when you open, here's what we believe. When you open that book or you open that device with God's Word in it, that you're reading God's breath. Now, how do you know that? How can you prove that? The Bible says of itself in Psalm 119 that all your commands can be trusted. I believe that you can trust the Bible. I believe you can trust the Bible. And we're going to talk about some very intellectual ways and some very academic ways that you can trust the Bible. First of all, the, the, one of the reasons you could trust the Bible is because it works historically. 
Time magazine, not too terribly long ago, uh, the, the cover will be up on the screen, says, is the Bible fact or fiction? And they went through a lot of trouble to uncover the, the, the reality, the, the, the truth of the Bible. And so if you read that article, you can find it online. Here's what you're going to read. It, depending on your preconceived notion, if you believe the Bible to be true, at the end of reading that article, you'll believe it to be more true. If you believe it to be fiction at the end of the article, guess what? You'll probably believe it to be more fiction. Because here's the deal. You're going to get out of the Bible what you... We, when we approach God's Word, when we approach it with faith, and we're going to talk about that in a minute, the, the truth is we, we all have preconceived notions about is the Bible true or not. So let's look at, at what happens historically. See... Um, if we look at historical literature, and I don't want this to, I just call myself a nerd, and I don't want this to be nerdy. So I'm going to go through this part kind of fast, okay? Um, let, let me, if this stuff interests you, okay, I'm going to give you a book to, to, to read. Josh McDowell, Evidence That Demands a Verdict, okay? If you'll read that book, and you're just, if you're a word nerd like I am, you can spend all kinds of, there's just tons and tons and tons and tons of facts about the Bible's historical accuracy. But suffice it to say this, one of the things that, that academics look at when it comes to verifying the, the, uh, the factuality of historical documents is was it written by eyewitness accounts? And here's what you need to know, that the Bible wasn't written by, uh, you know, somebody said this to somebody else that said it to somebody else that said it to somebody else that wrote it down. The Bible was written, Old Testament and New, by people who were there when these events took place. You know, maybe the exception would be the first, you know, the, the creation books, uh, the first five books of the Bible. But, but Moses wrote those as God inspired them. And it, it wasn't passed down from generation to generation to generation. And there's going to be a lot of people. If you start studying this, there's going to be a lot of people that will say, well, it's just fable. It's just fiction. And, and, and uh, I'm going to tell you that it's historically accurate. Moses wrote it down because of what he saw. Joshua wrote it down because of what he saw. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John wrote them down because they were there. They, they wrote about the resurrection because they saw him die and then saw him alive. So these documents were written from an eyewitness account. The other thing that they look at, that academics look at, is the care in which uh, the copies were made. And this is where it gets really cool. Um, maybe you'll remember from Sunday school, there were two groups of uh, religious leaders in the New Testament. There were the Pharisees and there were the scribes, right? Here's what the scribes' job was. The scribe's job was to take the Old Testament manuscripts and to copy them so other people could use them. You with me? And you might not realize this, but they didn't have Xerox machines at that point in time. And so here's, there was just a line of rules I, I, uh, that they had to go through when they copied these from document to document. And if even as much as two letters touched each other, do you know what they did? They threw it away and started over. If they made any error whatsoever, and, and, and here's what they didn't do. They didn't copy it paragraph by paragraph, and they didn't copy it word by word. You know what they copied it by? Letter by letter. And if one letter was out of place, they threw it away and started over again. And what we, it, it was, 
I guess the greatest discovery that you and I have is, is from the Dead Sea Scrolls, Scrolls several years ago. The Dead Sea Scrolls, and it's a beautiful story. We don't have time to go into it, but it's, it's just a miraculous story. See, before the Dead Sea Scrolls, the oldest documents that we had were for about 100 years before Christ. Okay? And so um, the, the, the Dead Sea Scrolls, showed up, a, and, and they were written about a thousand years after Jesus. And so the critics of the Old Testament said, well, clearly, when we, when we compare these two scrolls, or these, these documents, one that, that are 1,100 years apart, there'll certainly be error between the two, because how many know that if I whispered something in Rachel's ear and told her to pass it around, by the time it got all the way around the building, uh, it'd be completely different, Right? Guess how much inaccuracy there was? It was 95% accurate, and the only inaccuracies in those 1,100 years was in the spelling of people's names. In other words, instead of writing Mikey, I would have written Michael. That's the only inaccuracies. Here's the cool part. See, a lot, for, for years, one of the greatest arguments of the Bible was that it created... It created civilizations that never existed. There are people in the Bible that didn't exist. That for years and years and years and years and years, they thought that, that Solomon didn't exist. He was just a conglomeration of a lot of different people. Solomon didn't exist, critics of the Bible said. And then, guess what? They found things written by Solomon. And there, was, there was a civilization in the Old Testament, the Hittites. That appears nowhere else. There's no other document outside of the Bible that talks about the Hittite civilization. Nowhere. And so uh, biblical critics thought, well, here's what we'll do. We'll just assume that the Bible made this civilization up because we have no other record of it. Well, guess uh, there was a man by the name, let me look at his name, Hugo Winkler in the early 1900s, found 10,000 tablets from a civilization. Guess what it was? The Hittites. And so now... Scientists and historians know that the Hittite civilization existed. I know this is, no, this is nerdy, but I need you to know this because I, you might have heard me mention this once or twice, but I got a chance to go to Israel in 2020. Have I mentioned that to you all before? Never. never I, I've never mentioned that before. See, yeah, I went to Israel, and, and uh, I, I got a chance to have this conversation with this uh, Jewish girl, she's about 24, and she was a, uh, an academic, and her field of study was King David, and she worked at the site of King David's palace that they just found a few years ago. See, many people believe King David, a myth, a fable, but they found his house. They found his man cave. You know, King David had a man cave? I went in it. My, my flat screen's bigger than his, but, you know, whatever. <laughs> Isn't that cool? But here's the thing. Nobody trusts the Bible because it works historically. That's not why we trust the Bible. It works historically, but that's not why you trust it. It also works scientifically. Proverbs 30, verse 5 says, Every word of God is flawless. Psalm chapter 12, verse 6 says, And the words of the Lord are flawless, like silver purified in a crucible like gold refined seven times. 
I like things to work out scientifically. How many know that science isn't always right? So when the Bible was written, when the Bible was written, what did, did they think the world was flat? Yes. When the Bible was written, the whole scientific community was convinced that the, that the world was flat. But, but look at what happens in Isaiah 40. This is 2,600 years before Christ. Isaiah said this. He sits enthroned above the circle of the earth. Many Hebrew translators uh, translate that word circle to sphere. What's a sphere? It's a ball. So 2,600 years before, uh, before Copernicus or before Columbus that were discovering that the world was indeed not flat, but it was round. God told Isaiah, it's a sphere, it's a ball, it's a circle. It's kind of cool, isn't it? When the Bible was written, you know, every culture had a different idea of how the earth was suspended in space. But here's what every culture believed, that it was suspended by something. You know, the Greek culture, you know, Atlas, big strong Atlas, that's, that's what held up the earth. That's what they believe. The Hindus believe that there's four elements that the, that the world rides on or rode on. They don't, I don't think they believe that anymore. And, and, oh, it got crazier than that. The four elephants rode on the back of a big turtle. It takes more, a lot more faith to believe that, doesn't it? That's crazy. Uh, but, but, but everybody thought that it was suspended on, on something. Look, look at what Job said. In Job 26, verse 7, I'll read it to you. He spread out the northern skies over empty space. He suspends the earth over nothing. How did Job know that? When, when all of the scientists said it's suspended on something, he wrote it's suspended on nothing. <laughs> Around the time of Christ, the scientists of the day thought there were about a thousand stars. All of the leading scientists thought there was about a thousand stars in the day. And how many know there's a couple more? And in fact, I read an article this week that said, in reality, there's no way that you could ever count them. We don't know where they're all at. We keep finding them. Every expedition finds more and more stars. So there's a couple more than a thousand. But here's what God told Jeremiah 2,600 years before Christ. I'll make the descendants of David, my servant, and the Levites who minister before me as countless as the stars. So before science knew that it was countless, God told us. So listen, I, I, I like science. I told you I was a techie. But stuff changes. Science doesn't always work scientifically. I found this in my drawer, in my desk. This, just a few years ago, was an amazing device. In fact, you could, you could carry a a camera that was as, as good as, as any portable camera, especially from my day, right? I, I, you know, the portable camera in my day was a Polaroid. Come on, somebody. 
So it, it blew that away. You could ca- it had a, a camcorder in here. You could connect to the internet with this. It, it was a phenomenal work of technology. Today, this iPod Touch is worth about 20 bucks. It belonged to my son Matthew, and I, I tried to give it back to him. He's like, I don't want that. I don't need that. Right? You don't, what, why, would I, why would I need this antiquated piece of science and technology? Because it changes. That's why y'all stand in line at the Apple store every time the new iPhone comes out. Okay, that's me. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. Got that. I got that confused. Oh, or maybe, here's, here's maybe another example. Yeah, I'm going to get in trouble for this one, but I don't care. <laughs> Y'all remember somewhere around March of 2020 and what we heard on the television was just follow the science. And it changed every other day. Listen, there are things... There, there are people who want to tell you that the, that the Bible doesn't add up, add up scientifically. I'm going to tell you there's things that the Bible told us thousands of years ago that they're still discovering. I believe that. But here's the truth. Nobody trusts the Bible because it works scientifically. Right? So here's, here's another reason. Because it works prophetically. You know, there are 322 prophecies about Jesus. Let's talk about eight of them. Because many people, their objection to Jesus fulfilling all of these prophecies was, um, well, he knew the prophecies, and so he intentionally fulfilled them. So let's, let's pull a few that he had nothing to do with, okay? Um, his family tree. You can... You can change a lot of things, but you can't change who daddy was and whose daddy daddy's was and whose daddy's mama's daddy was. You can't change that, can you? His family tree to dozens of generations was predicted. The place he was born. Can you, is there anything you can do to change where you're born? Absolutely not. The wise men bringing gifts was, was foretold hundreds of years before it happened. His betrayal. The price of his betrayal, the 30 pieces of silver, was talked about hundreds of years before it happened. How do you, how do you make that happen? His crucifixion was, was predicted before there was such a thing. The soldiers casting lots for his garments, that was predicted long, long ago. The fact that he was buried in a rich man's tomb was predicted hundreds of years before it happened. His resurrection was, it's, listen, you can do a lot of things, but you, you can't fake that. See the, and, and oh, by the way, we don't have time to get into this, but in, starting November, we're going to talk about an end time series. The, the parts of the Bible that have yet, the prophecies that have yet to be fulfilled are coming true every day. Every day. Go home, I dare you, go home and Google the Euphrates River. The Bible predicts that it's going to dry up, and it's been a flourishing river for thousands of years. Go Google it. It's almost dry. I, 
I've told this little illustration, I don't know, 50 times over the last 30 years. But it's just, it, just, it, it just helps us in our mind, okay? Those eight, those eight prophecies I just told you about Jesus. What do you think the odds are that Jesus fulfilled just eight of the 322? What do you think the odds are? Pretty high? If you wrote a 10 with 17 zeros behind it, that's the odd. One in 10 to, 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 with 17 zeros. I, I don't even know what that number is. But a, a research team decided they were going to try to illustrate it. And so as they're, as they're computing their mathematics, the way they explained it in their report was if you took silver dollars, 10 to the 17 powers, silver dollars, that they would cover the state of Texas two feet high. So they said the odds of Jesus fulfilling eight of the 322 prophecies, and guess how many he fulfilled, by the way? 322. Okay, just in case you're wondering. Eight of those would be the same as if a man took one silver dollar and painted it red and threw it in the pile in the state of Texas two feet high, and some celestial broomstick stirred it all up. The odds of Jesus fulfilling eight of those prophecies are the same as a man reaching into that pile and pulling out the red silver dollar on his first try. So the Bible works prophetically. <laughs> it, I, I've heard people say, well, psychics do the same thing. Well, that's stupid, y'all. Let me, let me tell you a, a, a headline you'll never read. Psychic wins lottery. If you go see a psychic today, you know what they're going to ask you for? Your name and your credit card number. Shouldn't they know that? Second Peter chapter 1 says, For prophecy never had its origin in the human will, but prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, but this is, this is Matthew chapter 26, but this is all happening to fulfill the words of the prophets as recorded in the Scriptures. Revelation chapter, tw chapter 22, The angel said to me, These words are trustworthy and true. The Lord, the God who inspires the prophets, sent his angel to show the servants, his servants, the things that must take place. So it works historically, and it works scientifically, and it works prophetically. And, and stay with me here. It works thematically. Let me tell you what I mean by that. The Bible was written over 1,600 years. It's a long time, right? Forty different men and women, three continents, three different languages. But there's one theme. From cover to cover. From Genesis to Revelation, there's one theme, and the theme is redemption. And there's one story, and there's one star, and his name is Jesus. And he's from cover 
to cover. How in the world could we get 40 different men and women from 1600, over 1,600 years, three different languages? How would it be possible for them to assemble 66 different books with one thread all the way through? They, men and women can't do that. I, if I asked just y'all here, th those watching online, to write a one-paragraph summary about this sermon, it wouldn't agree. But 40 men and women over 1,600 years, in three continents, in three languages, told the same story. How is that possible? Because it's the breath of God. Luke 24 said, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, Jesus explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. Jesus told those that were wondering who he was in John chapter 5, you search the scriptures because you think they give you eternal life, but the scriptures point to me. He has and will always be the star of the story. I, um, the very first Bible I bought, when I, I, I guess I was 15, I, it still got it in my office. It had this article in the back. It was called The Scarlet Thread of Redemption. And I read that as a 15-year-old, and it blew me away that, that this one story of redemption went throughout the whole Bible. And y'all, listen, you, you can, and people do argue about the Bible all the time, and it, it, it makes me want to vomit. Because, you, you know, when we argue about the, the stuff that really doesn't matter, we miss the star of the story. The star of the story is Jesus, y'all. So it works thematically. Here, you can write this down. You can trust the Bible because Jesus trusted it. Now, obviously, he didn't have the New Testament. But he taught. He taught about Noah. And he taught about David. And he taught about Sodom and Gomorrah. And he taught about Jonah. And he said this of the Old Testament scriptures in Matthew chapter 5. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, will by any means disappear from the law until everything's accomplished. Jesus talked about it. But y'all, I, I have to tell you, the Bible is under attack. And, and I'd like to tell you that it's, it's from outside the church, but the truth is that that there are those inside the church that want to, just want to toss it aside. There's a, a very popular pastor, not too terribly far from here, that said, what, what we must do in this stage is unhinge the New Testament from the, New, from the Old Testament. We need to concentrate on the resurrection of Christ and, and unhinge the church from the Old Testament because of... Uh, because of the war metaphors and, and all of the, the things that we don't like. Let's, let's separate ourselves. But here's the problem with that. Jesus didn't separate himself from the Old Testament. He taught the Old Testament. Oh, by the way, he's in the Old Testament. He fulfilled the Old Testament. And so, y'all, I had, I had dinner or lunch with, with a guy from that pastor's organization, and he's trying to explain to me how it, and I'm like, I'm just going to nod. Because we're never going to agree on that. See, I, I believe the Bible we hold is inerrant and infallible. I believe that it does what it says it will do. And Jesus taught that, y'all. 
And, and there's a lot of people who will say, you know what, I like Jesus and I like His words, but I don't like the Bible. You can't separate those two things. I, I like Jesus because He's kind and compassionate, but the Bible's homophobic and misogynistic and irrelevant, and I'm going to tell you, you can't have it both ways. I believe that Jesus trusted Scripture. And if Jesus trusted Scripture, I need to trust Scripture. Jesus said it this way. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Listen, it's under attack. <laughs> but it's not going anywhere. Listen, I, I, don't, I don't care what Facebook and TikTok and Twitter says. It's not going anywhere. You know, people don't, people don't like the Bible. Because if I say I like the Bible, then I am therefore accountable to what it says. And if I want to live my life the way I want to live it, without regard to the morality and the ethics of the Bible, it's easy for me to do that by saying it's not relevant. And I'm going to tell you that it is. And if we're going to follow Christ, we got to follow the Bible because Jesus followed the Bible. We can't follow Christ without following his words. There was a, a French philosopher, his name was Voltaire, he died in 1778. Atheist. Devout atheist. Uber atheist. What's, an, what's another word? You know, he was an atheist to the nth degree, died in 1778. And here's what he said. A hundred years from my death, the Bible will be a museum piece. Want to hear something funny? The French Bible Society bought his house after he died. They sold Bibles out of his house after he died. But by the way, any, I, I don't know, anybody know anything about Voltaire? Two hands. So it sounds like he's the one that's irrelevant. But the Bible's still changing lives, y'all. The grass withers, the flowers fail, but the word of our Lord endures forever, is what First Peter said. We cannot separate the fundamental teachings of Scripture from the Christian life, y'all. I, I used to see this bumper sticker that said, God said it, I believe it, that settles it. Anybody ever seen that? You, you've seen that? Does anybody have that on your car right now? i got to know that before I say my next sentence. <laughs> because that's a stupid saying. Me believing it has nothing to do with settling it. God said it, that settles it. Period. And, and I don't want this to come out harsh, but whether or not you choose to believe it has no bearing on the Bible's validity. Whether or not you choose to believe it has no bearing on whether it's fact or fiction. Whether or not you choose to believe it only has a bearing on one thing, and that's where you happen to spend eternity. You and I are going to face God one day. 
And, you know, we, we, don't, we don't talk about that a lot anymore because it's uncomfortable. But the truth is, we're going to face God one day. And here's, what, here's how I want to face Him. L- listen, I, I told you I've been reading the Bible 41 years. And I'm going to just be real bold and honest and tell you that there have been many, many, many times where I have missed the mark. And I have, in my attempts to follow the Lord and follow His Word, I have missed it terribly. I'm going to tell you that there's been many times when the Bible said, go this way, and I went that way. Over these 41 years, there's been many times when I knew what the Bible said and did it my way anyway. And you're like, well, tell us the rest of the story, Dwayne. Nope, that's it. There's been many times when I'm falling short of the standard in that book. But here's what I'm going to tell you. The greatest blessings in my life are a result of my feeble attempt to do things God's way. The greatest blessings in my life, my, my wife, my children, their spouses, my granddaughter, this church, the greatest blessings in my life came into my life by my feeble attempt to do things God's way. And so I'm going to tell you that even though, see, many times we look at the standard of Scripture and think, I'll never be able to live up to that. You're absolutely correct. But you know what we're going to do? As, that's why we're doing this 40 days together. We're going to lock arms, and we're going to learn to learn the Word, to love the Word, and live the Word. And here's what I promise you. You'll be a different person. So I told you I had to give you 30 minutes to give you the last five. Here's the last five. You can trust the Bible because it works. You can trust the Bible not because it works historically, not because it works scientifically. You can trust the Bible because it works, period. That if you apply those principles to your life, your life will be different. So the question is not can the Bible be trusted. The question is can you be trusted with the Bible? The question is, not can the, the, the Bible's proved itself for thousands of years through attack after t- attack after attack, through critic after critic, it still holds true and it still changes lives. The Bible is a solid rock. Always has been, always will be. The only question is, are you going to be uh, the one that says, it is now the authority of my life? Because here's what we'd love to do. We'd love, to, we'd love to just do things our own way. And, and my, here's my heart for y'all, for me, for my family, for, for this church, is that we, we, we bury our nose in the pages of Scripture and we live our lives as feeble as it may be according to the words of Scripture, and watch Him transform your life and your family and your community. Oh, and by the way, your children's children's children. So you've got to decide what's going to be authority for your life. And, and the truth is, you know what most of us, for most of us, you know what our authority is? Me. Or mirror. What, what the, the person staring back at us in the mirror. Or, 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 
or popular culture. See, popular culture would tell you that you can take the words of Scripture, um, but I mean, you can take the words of Jesus, but, but cast aside the rest. Or the, the next step is, you know, the idea of God is, is antiquated, and it's, you know, the idea of the Bible, it's, it, I don't believe it. Next time somebody tells you they don't believe the Bible, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you a little test. Has that ever happened to you? Somebody told you they didn't believe the Bible? Wave at me. All right, here's what you do. If somebody says, I don't believe the Bible, ask them this question. Um, what part of the Bible don't you believe? 99 times out of 100, here's your response. Well, I don't know. I didn't read it. Well, then you're not an atheist. You're a moron. <laughs> you're believing in something that you, you've never even investigated. You're, you're, not, you're choosing not to believe in something, and you have no idea what you don't believe in. Yeah. Now, now, if you get punched because saying that, I'm, that's on you. So, uh, so is, what's the authority for your life? Is it you? Is it popular culture? Or is it God's Word? See, here's what I find when I look in God's Word. I don't just find history and science. That's, that's whatever. You know what I find? I find hope. I find purpose for my life. I find a path for eternal salvation in that book. Oh, by the way, if that book is wrong, we're all in trouble. You better hope it's right. If that book is wrong, then we're in trouble. Then we stand in front of an angry God with no hope for redemption if that book is wrong. But it's not wrong. It's not wrong. It's very, very, very true. Listen, if, if the Bible didn't do what it said it would do, we would have stopped hearing about it a long time ago. Right? What, what movie won an Oscar last year? Anybody know? Who? Anybody? If you know, raise your hand. Hmm. All right, I bet three or four people know this. Who won the Super Bowl last year? If you know, raise your hand. No. We don't say Tom Brady's name in this church, y'all. Rams, all right. So, so 90% of the people didn't know that. What won Song of the Year last year? Song of the Year. Anybody know? See, guess what? Things that are, are passing fads go away. The Bible's been around for a very, very, very long time and will continue to be. And here's why. Because it transforms us. It changes who we are. Here we go. Uh, Romans chapter 12. Don't, don't conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will, His good, pleasing, perfect will. I don't, I don't think I can trust the Bible. I don't believe I can trust the Bible. I know I can trust the Bible. Do you know why? Because I've put it to work in my own life. And what it says works. See, I've, I've put to work trusting the Lord with all your heart. 
Don't lean to your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he'll direct your paths. I've done that, and guess what? He directed my path. See, you, you, you put the Bible to work, and it works. All right. Matthew, come. Let's pray together. Bow your heads with me. So, so here's, here's what I, how, how we have to finish today's thoughts. Um, the way the Bible comes alive in your life isn't because you analyze it historically or scientifically or even prophetically. The way the Bible comes alive in your life isn't that you've made some academic determination that it's accurate. See, I, I believe you can do all those things, but that's not what brings the Bible to life in your life. What brings the Bible alive in your life is when you allow the author to break your heart and change your life. When we surrender our life in totality to the author of not just the Bible, but the author of life. His name is Jesus. He's the star of the story. So here's my challenge to you. If you're in the room, you're watching online, and you've never decided the authority of my life from this day forward will be God's Son, Jesus, and His Word. See, in, in reality, that's what being a, a, a follower of Christ, being a Christian really is. It's not repeating some prayer. Now, now listen, that's the beginning of a process, and I've led you in those prayers, and, and, and we'll continue to do that. But can I tell you that that's not really what does it. What does it is when we repent of our sins and say, God, I, I, I'm turning away from my sins, and I surrender my life in totality to you and to your word, and now I'm following Christ with the rest of my life. See, that's, that's why you'll want to pick up that book every day because you've fallen in love with the author. Will there be things you don't understand? You, you better believe there will be. There's parts of it that are tough. Will there be things that, you, that war against you and challenge you? Yes. It's supposed to. It's supposed to challenge you. Because it's transformational and it's alive and it's active. So we're going to pray. And I, I, I'm going to pray specifically for you and those that are watching online. That over these next 40 days, that we wouldn't just learn to study the Bible, but we would learn to apply it to our life because we're in love with its author. And today, if, if that's not your story, Man, you can start that today. It doesn't end with a prayer, but it sure can begin one with one. If you would pray a prayer or something like this, Lord, I, I believe in your son Jesus, and I need to be forgiven of my sin. And I believe that his death on the cross purchased my sin. And I need your forgiveness. And I need to, 
I need to live my life according to your word, according to your will, and led by your spirit. Guess what will happen? We just read it. You'll be transformed. God will change you. God will do a brand new work in you. Maybe you're here and you say, Dwayne, I'm, I'm a Christian. But you don't have that active hunger to follow God's word because you're in love with his, with his teaching. You're in love with his law. You're in love with his word. And I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit to do a, a, a brand new work in you today. Because I want you to jump in this deal early. We're just two weeks in. we got, we got, we got a whole other month that we're going to be talking about this. And I want you to jump in early. I want to see God do a transformational work in your life and in mine too, by the way. So let's pray together. Father, we love you. Man, I sense your presence here, Lord. So before I thankful for your word. I'm thankful, God, that you, your word is powerful and rich and real and trustworthy. God, I thank you that you've given us this beautiful library of your breath to teach us and lead us and guide us. Wow. So God, I pray for the one that might be here that says, you know, I don't, I don't have a relationship with Christ. God, I pray that today would be their day. Maybe the one that says, you know, I'm, I don't have a relationship with God's word. And I pray the day would be transformational. God, we thank you for what you're doing in hearts and lives. God, more than anything else, help us to take these words that we're learning and then we'll learn over the next four weeks and apply them to our life. Watch you transform us from the inside out. Love you, Jesus. Come on in your own way, just in the quietness of this moment. Would you just find a way to speak a word of worship to your Heavenly Father? Maybe you could just begin by thanking Him for His word. Maybe you could just begin by thanking Him for loving you enough to spend 1,600 years putting together a resource, putting together His breath just for you. Maybe you could speak a word of worship and just thank Him for the living Word that is Jesus. Lord, we love you so much and we worship you. You're the king of heaven, the star of the story. We love you, Lord. God, I pray for the one that, that feels overwhelmed this morning. God, I thank you for the, the powerful words that we've studied over this past week in our devotions. And God, when we're overwhelmed, help us to remember that things over our head are under your feet. God, I pray for the one that feels like that studying Scripture is, is, is too difficult for them. God, I pray that you would help them realize that, uh, God, you, you put this book together for them. And if they were the only one that needed it, you'd have, you'd have done the exact same thing. We love you, Jesus, and we worship you.
Come on, will you offer him an ovation of praise for his goodness? Amen, amen, amen. Amen. Hey, God bless you. Have an awesome afternoon.